Welcome in to 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman, and as always, I'm excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you here on the show, and will indeed be Colorado Rockies baseball here on the show. And uh, we'll, we'll see how long I end up going today because I'm going to keep this conversation incredibly focused, incredibly detailed, and literally line by line. I'm going to go over the statement released to the season ticket holders by Dick Monfort that, uh, uh, you know, they're oftentimes, they, they can be released, obviously, season ticket holders can do whatever they want with them. They often post them on Twitter. Uh, like a lot of people out there, the first person that I saw post it uh, was Shannon. Everybody knows at Love the Rocks on Twitter, right? Uh, all-time great Rockies fan. And she has shared this. And so I'm going to go through every sentence of it and basically break down what I think he slash they, and whenever you're writing something like this, it's not like Dick Monfort wrote this just one night in his own thoughts and, and put it out without anybody seeing it, right? I promise you these these kinds of things are team efforts. So this is very much, he is speaking with the voice of the team, right? Which is like when the president of a company or, or a country or, or a governor or somebody doesn't just speak with their own voice. He's speaking with the voice of the Colorado Rockies, and this was a collectively decided statement to put out, right? But of, of course, it's still ultimately signed by Dick Monfort as a, as a letter to the fans. And so he, he it begins, first sentence, not much to do here. You just, you open somewhere. It's hard to believe another season is behind us. It seems like yesterday we opened the year at Coors Field with sellout crowds against the Dodgers and won the series. In a way, it feels like it was just yesterday. In another way for me, it feels like it was a lifetime ago. <laughs> but a lot has happened for me in the last year, you know, including like moving to a new house and getting married and, and all this stuff and new job and things. So I was like, all right. Um, but also, yeah, it, it it's wild. I, I also agree that it feels like the season went by pretty fast. But right, nothing... Whatever, that's just an opening statement. Now let's get into each one of these statements. And again, kind of like what I think he wants you to hear and then what I think kind of the truth behind the situation is. So we begin with our expectations were high going into the 2022 season. But unfortunately, we did not meet those expectations. We've already got to start here, right? Because this is a big point of contention amongst fans and media and the team is... How realistic or reasonable are the Colorado Rockies about their expectations? And is that part of what prevents them from getting better? Uh, th there's a lot wrapped up in that conversation. I've gone over before why, just philosophically speaking, I'm not really in favor of tanking. And so ultimately, if you're not in favor of tanking, that conversation can only go so far in a certain direction, right? Because... And again, we've got into the nuance of this all throughout the year, the difference between the type of selling that the Rockies should have done but didn't and the type of selling that a lot of people want the Rockies to do and is practiced in other places but is arguably, at the very least, not good for the game of baseball, which I think most people agree upon. They just would rather their team be reaping some of the benefits of this bad system and not just the other teams, right? Which is fair. But beginning with... Our expectations were high and we didn't meet those expectations is in and of itself an interesting admission. So what I think he wants you to hear there is, you know, we believe that we're better than this. We are better than this. We should have been better than this. 
And there's certainly an argument to be made there. Of course, the fan pushback will be, and again, fairly, because they haven't laid out how they intend to, you know, get rid of this gap of, of belief and, and in results where they constantly believe that they're going to be better than they are and, and don't get there, right? And so fans are going to hear some of that and say, well, I guess they think that all they need to do is meet their expectations, but how are they going to do that, right? And, and arguably not, it doesn't get into enough of that here. The following sentence, I think, is something that he has to say, something that is well stated, and something that, of course, people are going to be mad at and pick apart. But quite frankly, if he doesn't say this, people are going to be mad at it and pick it apart. So this is one of the things that I actually think, even though I'm sure it's going to really anger a lot of people, this is one of the few unimpeachable sentences of this thing. He simply says, it has now been four years since our last postseason appearance, and this is not acceptable. 100%. Now, I'm sure there are fans who would love him to go the extra mile and start laying the blame at people's feet or laying the blame at his own feet and saying, and that's, you know, entirely my responsibility and entirely my fault. And we're going to make massive changes in order to address it. But that's not necessarily, you know, <laughs> obviously that wasn't going to be the case. Now, I, I would argue he could and should take a little bit more blame here. There was an opportunity to say, and, you know, I bear responsibility for that and we do need to do some things differently. But I also think that a lot of those decisions are being made now about how many changes there are going to be. And you wisely don't start throwing people under the bus. And when fans see stuff like this, they oftentimes want to hear all this stuff from their perspective, but they forget that, like, these are also read by the entire coaching staff, the entire front office or whatever. And if you start saying, and we're going to just wholesale get rid of people or whatever and then maybe you don't end up doing that anyway there's a lot of reasons why you don't necessarily get into specifics on something like this and i understand that uh but that statement alone of hey it's unacceptable is something that he has to say and is well stated um then he gets into some of the specifics of the season that went wrong again if you're reading it at face value, nothing egregious here. All of this is correct. Our road record was abysmal. Our defense was not what we were accustomed to. Our situational hitting was disappointing. And our pitching was inconsistent. Uh, and then he says, excuses serve no purpose. And we are committed to devoting all our efforts this offseason to improving this team for 2023. Again, he doesn't get into specifics. And these letters tend not to, right? It's a one-page general mission statement for the offseason. And he's saying, we're going to take this offseason and do everything that we can to get better. That's the one sentence where if you're choosing to interpolate, if I may, in a positive direction, you could say he's at least waving toward the possibility of offseason acquisitions, trades, signings, changes in the coaching staff, or any number or any combination of those things, more than a handful of things you would hope. Of course, this will all be proof is in the pudding stuff. At the end of the offseason, uh, you know, if they do some good things, people aren't really going to be concerned about, you know, the letter to the <laughs> to the season ticket holders. Um, now, this part is really interesting because this is something that they often do, but I... 
I can't remember outside of a few like star prospects in the past where they've named so many names. I, I remember reading these because, of, of course, they do this every year, right? And in years past, we would hear things about, say, Brendan Rodgers, obviously coming up or or David Dahl when he was coming up through, right? But he says, we are encouraged by a number of young players coming through our minor league system. You saw a glimpse of top prospects Ryan Feltner, Sean Bouchard, Michael Tolia, Elijeris Montero, and young shortstop Ezekiel Tovar, all of whom have the talent to make meaningful impact on our major league team going forward. And again, that's just true. The big question, of course, will be, can they make enough of an impact? And are you going to make enough corresponding moves in this offseason so that if these young players do all end up contributing, that it's not undercut by the fact that you're not pitching or you've got no bullpen or you've got no depth or whatever it may be, right? And so, but, but that list of names is actually very promising, the guy I'm probably lowest on out of the name, the, the guys actually got name dropped by the owner is Ryan Feltner, who also has some of the highest potential to actually impact the team if it goes the other way. If he can, because he, because he's a pitcher, <laughs> right? Right. If he ends up being good, that's a big deal, especially if he can do it as a starter. But even if, as I have kind of envisioned, he ends up as a, a late inning reliever, though, I think he has a chance to be a lights out, wipe out reliever. The Rockies need one of those. They need a couple of them, don't they? Uh, now, if he ends up being a pretty solid starter, that's just as good, if not better. Uh, but he's probably the guy out of that list that right now I'm I'm least uh, bullish on in, in terms of his ability to become something more than a contributor, right? If we're talking impact player, he's and the phrase that, that Monfort used here, again, the team, the Rockies used here, is meaningful impact. And I think that that's important because I've talked to a lot of people about this team the last couple of days and weeks and asking, you know, what's going to change. And when I look at the opening day roster for next season right now, I I already see a lot of things that are going to be different than what we saw throughout most of this year. Now, obviously, on opening day this year, there was Chris Bryant, and that's a big X factor here, too, though. But you, you, you figure more games Played appearances and all of that out of Chris Bryant's going to make an impact. But Tolia, Montero, Tovar, and Bouchard really making himself a legitimate factor here. And if he can continue to hit and continue to hang and continue to take remarkable at-bats and draw his walks and do all of that, whether you end up fully embracing the youth model and going with all of those guys and maybe start trading off things like C.J. Crone or Charlie, I don't think they're ever going to trade Charlie Blackman, but, uh, you know, more veteran players to to make way for them or or whatever it is to, to start getting in some pitching help. These players, you have to, if you're being objective about it and not just going, ah, pish posh on all things Rockies, with the way these players have performed, with the way outside observers and analysts have evaluated the Rocky system and reevaluated, especially like players like Tovar and Tolia and Montero, who are who are legitimate impact level prospects, that that is something that you, you've got to call out, you've got to be excited about. And then he does in the next sentence uh bring up 
beyond that, uh, some players to keep an eye on further down in the system, including Zach Veen, Ariel Amador, Drew Romo, Benny Montgomery, and pitchers Gabriel Hughes, Jaden Hill, and Joe Rock. Now, this is actually just important exposition through dialogue. <laughs> this, is, this is just the owner actually telling us a few things about who the organization believes is in a good place to contribute next, which you don't always know when guys have been unhealthy, a little bit inconsistent throughout the minors, and you talk to certain coaches or whatever. You know, Again, you're, you try not to bury your own guys, and guys can turn it around, do whatever. They're not going to come out and say, yeah, this guy might not be a thing. But when you're, your name makes it into the newsletter for the season ticket holders, that shows you who the collective evaluators in the Rocky system believe really do have a chance to be impact. Gabriel Hughes, obviously they're going to be very high on right now because they just took him with their number one draft pick. It's been interesting because you look at certain lists and guys like say, Helcris Olivares, who's really struggled with his command and his health or Chris McMahon have been pretty high on some lists. Uh, you know, Carl Kaufman there for a little while was, but he dropped down uh, and, and, might be a little closer in terms of the timeline when you look at him already being in AAA and whatnot, but that Jaden Hill and Joe Rock were the guys that got shouted out here shows you who you should really be keeping your eyes on for potentially fast advancement if they're having really good seasons in the minors next year, who you should be looking out for uh, whether it's Arizona Fall League, spring training, and any of the baseball that's going to be played between now and the start of the next regular season, right? Those are the guys to be extra heightened on on who you watch uh, because, yeah, that, that that's going to be fascinating. Uh, Joe Rock and Jaden Hill um, uh, are, are going to be worthy of um, extra attention. Let's just put it that way. So uh, then the next paragraph is really interesting because he's talking about some of the changes coming to Major League Baseball next season. And I think that there's a lot that he wants you as the fan to interpret internally when he says some of the, these things. And, and some of them fairly and some of them a bit of a stretch, arguably. So, so he begins with Major League Baseball has been working hard to make this great game even better. New for the 2023 season, the pitch clock. Uh, is going to be implemented to improve the pace of play and make the games shorter. So this is interesting, right? Uh, to some extent, he's selling the Rob Manfred line. The, the he's he's the, he's towing the company line, right? He's coming out and saying, "Hey, we are going to make." So this is more for. It's interesting because this is in the letter for presumably the most hardcore fans, the season ticket holders. Um, but I've often found that the interminable length of games at times is harshest on the people that go the most often, the people who tend to complain about it the most, people in the media, people who season tickets. Because you know, if you're planning a night out and a three-and-a-half-hour game becomes a four-hour game, hey, maybe your your night was planned around this, so okay. But if you're you're going all the time and you do have to do other things with your life, it can be difficult. So it's interesting that this is something that they're, they're talking to the hardcores about, making the games shorter because... I think there's more of a split there, and I do think that that whole concept is aimed more at casuals. Um, but I think it's noteworthy uh, that he mentioned it here, that 
you know, that's something to get excited about, you know, which I, I think some people will. I just don't know that it's this crowd. Um, he does mention the new rule to prohibit infielders shifting, uh, which should add more offense. Uh, and, I, and I love this subtle little dig here, this, this subtle little thing. Um, well, before I move on to that, now I'm breaking this sentence down clause by clause, but on, on the shifting thing, I, I think they mentioned that and the, the talk of more offense, but this is something the Rockies at Ryan McMahon has said this to me, Brendan Rogers has echoed it, but black has said it a little bit that he, that, that they believe the athleticism of their infield defenders means that the, the banning of the shift is going to give them an advantage, right? Because now you won't just be able to pre-position a guy right where you think the ball is going to get hit. So teams that have players who are better capable at taking a, a step or two and a dive or a slide or whatever and making the, the athletic play, that's something that most people expect to see returning a bit more to the game. And the Rockies are really well suited there with McMahon, Rogers, Tovar, and Tolia slash Crone on the infield to make some really, really quality plays. So I think that's the reason uh, also that he wanted to highlight that. But then he says, and a favorite new addition is the balanced schedule. Now he gives a totally different reason for why, (laughs) right? The balanced schedule, which will allow us to play all 15 American League teams each year, which is actually good and great. I I remember uh, an old show having done with uh, one of the John Boy guys, with Jake of Jake and John Boy, uh, talking about this. And we both agreed that just one of the best changes that baseball could make is to have every team play every team. And so you don't have these three or four year long gaps between the Yankees or the Red Sox or whomever uh, coming to to Coors Field. Uh, And now, of course, the owner is going to pounce on that. And he's going to mention, hey, the Yankees are going to be here in 2023. And he mentions the Angels, which I think is hilarious. Because, of course, the Angels are not a good baseball team. But that's not why you buy a ticket when the Angels are in town, is it? You come to see Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. And that's really funny to me because it's kind of a similar marketing strategy that that the Rockies have had for so long, right? Not a good baseball team, but you go to see Larry Walker or Troy Tulowitzki or Todd Helton or Nolan Arenado. And, and I, you know, I think now it's going to be that way again. I think some of these young guys are going to emerge as some stars. We'll see if they can manage to be good, but they're, they've always going to have these, you know, Charlie Blackman's not really the superstar player he once was, but uh, you can still kind of appreciate the the history and the talent there. But right now, they don't have that superstar. Uh, but they're letting you know that when, <laughs> that when the Yankees and or Shohei Otani come to town, there will be, uh, the Rockies will be hosting them. All of those teams, right? And and I think that's good for baseball. I think it's good for the Rockies. I, I do think it's going to be, you know, for the people who hate the whole transplant problem. And I'm, I'm saying that in giant air quotes because I honestly don't think it's, an issue but there are a lot of people who think well a big part of the problem with the Rockies is that they're complacent because they always do so well in ticket sales and part of the reason why they always do so well in ticket sales is there are a lot of transplants who live in Denver and those people go to the games to see their own team and a lot of people say if you moved from uh, Minnesota or wherever you know you you don't get to see your team come very often now it's going to be you know every year you're going to be able to go out and they're still going to be a decent number of games 
against those Dodgers or Giants or whatever. But that's really the big thing that reading between the lines. I love that Monfort is like saying, well, like, no, it's going to be great because we'll see the Angels and the Yankees and the Red Sox or whatever. But no. Now, of course, the reason that this is good for the Rockies is because they won't have to play the Dodgers and the Padres and depending on the year, the Giants and also depending on the year, the, the Diamond, like all of those teams have been really good at certain times. I, I did an article recently on MileHighSports.com about how measurably, comfortably the National League West has been by far the best division in the National League for a very long time. Much, much more difficult to win than the NL Central. We saw this yesterday as I was kind of poking at Nolan Arenado and some people wanted to mention me, well, yeah, at least he won the division. I was like, he won the division with 93 games. The Dodgers won 111. They were 18 wins short of the Dodgers still. So even on his new, improved, you know, super remarkable, traditional baseball team that's always there, it wasn't even close to the Dodgers. So getting out of the situation where you have to play those teams all the time, and I've talked about it for a myriad of reasons. Obviously, there's their quality and their talent and their money, but there's even the travel, the fact of those ballparks being the completely polar opposite environments of Coors Field, being at sea level and being built for pitchers, being pitcher-friendly parks as opposed to being a hitter-friendly park, all of that stuff. Those of you who've been listening to me or, or, or reading my stuff for a long time know that I, I have long said, of course, it's not a, a cure to all the Rockies' woes. People always want to make it a, a complete you know, false dichotomy whenever you say, like, it, it just is a measurable disadvantage that the Rockies have been playing in this division for a bunch of reasons beyond just the quality of the division, the, the second biggest one being the travel. But a, any change to that is beneficial to the Rockies. Of course, it doesn't cure them of all that ails them. Of course, it doesn't mean that they're, they're suddenly going to be world builders. And of course, at the end of the day, you'd still like to have an opportunity to be the absolute best team in the National League, in which case things like that shouldn't or wouldn't matter. But when you do have such a remarkable financial disadvantage, and then you have the disadvantage of you know the history of the ball club, and I've talked before about the institutional powers of the six teams that are almost always in the postseason and who own the six best records in the history of baseball. The Dodgers, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Giants, the Cubs, and the Cardinals. Those are the six teams, right? And so if you can play fewer games against those, you know, it, it's not... It is a part of the equation that the Cardinals won 93 games but also got to play the Reds, the Cubs, and the Pirates a lot more than, say, having to play the Dodgers or the Mets and the Braves. So I think that's just a good thing for baseball. I do think it will be a uniquely good thing for the Rockies. And uh, I think it's funny that he sort of came right up to mentioning that, but didn't go like he just could he didn't write the line of like and thank god we won't have to play the dodgers so damn often <laughs> how is that not a good thing there's just no way to spin that as anything other than good for your ball club not having to play the dodgers as often just a fact um then he goes on to praise the ballpark uh, I, I don't really need to go over all of this it's most of it's true he, he basically just says they, they think they have the best game day staff in baseball the ballpark is phenomenal all of that is 100% true. 
Uh, they do a fantastic job down at Coors Field. There are things about the ballpark experience that can be improved. There almost always are. They are by no means perfect. And there are certain things that I think are like, sometimes they, 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 they do certain fan relation things, not especially well. They, when there are like really big crowds, when there's like a bobblehead day or whatever, they can be bad at communicating with fans over certain things. But the, the, it also can sometimes depend on the, the rep you get. Uh, you know, I, I, I could quibble over some of the ushers and security guards being a little extra, you know, there's no one at the ballpark. It's the seventh inning. Everybody's left. You and your friends want to go down and maybe get a little closer or take a picture or whatever. And they won't let you do it. Stuff like that. But again, it's minor. I think the Rockies are at the top of the class when it comes to the ballpark experience. And, uh, it's, it's worth mentioning. And then he mentions the fans, quote, unwavering support. He says, it was a challenging year for us, and we do not take you for granted. You are the most important part of the Colorado Rockies organization, uh, which, again, the stats bear that out, right? The the fans, whether people want to quibble and say they're not really fans, they're the party deck crowd, they're transplants, this, that, or the other. I'm sorry, but baseball fans come out to Coors Field. They do, uh, and, and, and they keep you know, making the ballpark a, a pretty great environment. And you, you, you've you got to thank them when that happens. And so, uh, of course, then everyone's going to laugh and roll their eyes at the final thing, but he has to say it. You know, we all want the same thing. And that's why we're more dedicated than ever to bringing you a Rockies championship. Um, if he doesn't say that they're going after a championship, it only fuels the fire that the Rockies aim for mediocrity when he says we are aiming for a championship, people roll their eyes and call him a liar. It's a, it's a can't win situation, but that's how you have to finish. So, okay. <laughs> we went through it line by line. And look, these are what these are. Uh, you know, this wasn't a, a press conference to answer the tough questions. This wasn't, a, you know, a, a statement on, uh, you know, the analytics department or coaching changes like those things almost never happen in these types of things even though it is always frustrating when you hear a platitude like we're going to get better in the off season of course you want to know okay how how are you going to get better name a few things And, and i will point people to the press conference that bill schmidt did a couple of weeks ago and wrote about it on milehighsports.com did the podcast about it Broke that down line by line as well. And that was much more detailed in terms of what their off-season goals and plans are. To add home runs, to add uh, power general, to find a a lead-off hitter, to improve the pitching, to improve the depth. Uh, You know, these are all things that they've talked about specifically. the Really, the big question left open for me that, again, I didn't expect to be addressed in a letter to the season ticket holders is the budget. I'd re- that's the big thing for me because the Rockies when given the budget have spent. And as we've all said, especially if, if you're listening to this, you've probably heard me say and you've probably said yourself, the Rockies spend money they just don't do it wisely, right? But who spends the money and how is almost always up to the it's the GM. Right now, if it's going to be a big, huge thing, you, you usually have to get sign-off from ownership. But I think Bill Schmidt did his big, huge thing where he got the sign-off from ownership, and that was the Chris Bryant contract. As I said, sort of in the middle of the season when they didn't do anything at the trade deadline, I think there are a lot of opportunities for the Rockies to do 
things in that more, I guess if we think of them, in, let's put them in grade tiers, right? Like an A-level move is, regardless of, uh, and I'm not grading it in terms of its quality, I just mean in terms of its blockbusterness, right? An A-level blockbuster move is something like signing Chris Bryant, making a trade for anything that involves a guy who's been a multiple-time All-Star or has won an MVP. Any, if you're bringing in a guy who's got hardware, that's an A-level move, right? Then a B-level move would be more like we've talked about this Brandon Nimmo thing, right? Where a guy puts up a bunch of war pretty regularly, seems to be value across the board, but he doesn't hit a ton of home runs. He's not a superstar by any means. You're probably going to have to pay him a decent chunk of money, but not, you know, 27 to 35 million a year. And so something like that. And then there's kind of the the B minus to C plus level. Now, I'd love to see the Rockies jump up and do a B level move like that and grab a Brandon Nimmo. And I could see them just getting him and calling it an offseason and fans being upset at that, and probably rightfully so. There's a lot of little things, especially on the pitching side. I'd be signing like every guy you can get for under three million bucks and just bring in a ton of them. Reliever, starter, don't care. Just is the arm still attached to the body? Do they have a little bit of a resume of success? Bring them in. Let's figure some stuff out here as far as the pitching goes. But I do think one big splash in a position player, and as I've said before, I think it should be an outfielder, and I'll get into in the next days and weeks who specifically I think that could or should be. Um, and even if that means maybe you, you've got to make a trade because you do have some, oddly enough, you've got some excess position player talent here, especially if all those prospects that they named in that letter are going to be the real deal there really isn't room to play all of them at that point. So that's going to be interesting. But unfortunately, a lot of this does come off as tone deaf, even though I think most of it was just things that needed to be said. It's unacceptable. We haven't been to the postseason. Uh, we're going to do everything we can in the offseason. We were aiming for a championship, all that stuff. Thank you for your unwavering support. Those are the things that you have to say, right? Um, I do think, again, we got a little bit of a clue there about which prospects they're especially hot on. And that's always intriguing because that can help you understand the timetables a lot better. And then a, a sort of tacit admission that with a more balanced schedule and with some of these rule changes, it might be able to even the playing field for you know a team that's Yes, plays at a lot of built-in disadvantages. And a lot of their own, as everybody knows, a lot of the built, the, their disadvantages are self-made. But that doesn't mean that the other ones don't exist. You have to be able to address both of those things at the same time. Otherwise, you're just not being honest with yourself. And if you're not addressing, you know, there, and I often said, there's not really anything the Rockies can do about getting out of this hellish division. They just need to wait for the rules of, of baseball to, to change, and, and they have. So that's a huge break for them. And I think the same thing with uh, the, the shifting. That just happens to be because of the way that they're built right now. That, that, that was total luck of the draw on that one. I don't know that the pitching clock is going to have a particular advantage or pitching clock. <laughs> the pitch clock is going to have a particular advantage or disadvantage for 
them one way or the other. Unless Colome is still on the team. Because <laughs> I'm not sure how that guy's going to adjust to a pitching clock. But I did it again. <laughs> it's because it's a weird a pitch clock. Clock is not a word that I'm used to saying on a baseball podcast. So going to have to get used to that. The pitching clock. I'm going to sound like a 75-year-old man talking about this thing all the time. The, you check out the pitching clock. Anyway. <laughs> So those are my thoughts on the letter. Uh, let me know yours. Uh, do, do you feel like this is just a, a, an entire nothing burger? What do you think of them? You know, calling out quite a few more of the prospects by name. For you, is that coded language of we're just going to go with internal candidates and don't expect any big signings. And if our young guys play good, then we're going to be good. And if they don't, it's their fault. Uh, I know there are going to be some people who read this that way. Uh, I don't know that. You know, that's really true, but that'll bear out over the offseason, won't it? If we're sitting here in late January, early February, I guess by late February when pitchers and catchers are reporting and the Rockies haven't really done anything, then we'll know, yeah, that's what it was coded language for, that they are just counting on Tovar, Montero, Tolia, Bouchard, Feltner, and, and whoever else to save them next season. And I'm here to tell you this as someone who believes in all of those players that that is not enough. That is not, to use their word, an acceptable offseason. Unless there really is just no money to spend. But that wouldn't be in accordance with what Dick Monfort told us two years ago, which was to expect budget each increases in each of the upcoming offseasons, including this one. Now, I don't know by how much. But I am holding him to his word now that the budget should increase this offseason, which means Bill Schmidt should have some money to spend, which means we're back to that age-old question of, can the Rockies actually spend money in a way that gets them fair value on the free agent market? Because it has been a long, long-ass time. Other than, you know, these diamonds in the rough, you know, you can point out, say, a Greg Holland or, you know, I'll, I'll always, always, always defend or go to bat for guys like, you know, Gerardo Parra. But I'm just talking about a guy signed as a free agent who comes in and plays really well. Michael Kadire, Justin Morneau, you know, that kind of thing. Come in and just be who you were. Raphael Betancourt, he was traded for. But right, Betancourt had nearly a decade of being fantastic in Cleveland. And then he came to Colorado and you know what he was fantastic for another six or seven years. Like when was the last, doesn't that sound like a fairy tale? Does it sound like I just made that person up? Like you all know, cause you were there, but in the last 10, 15 years, when was the last time somebody was brought in and just continued to be a, a, a well above average ball player the way they were before. Like, that's what we want out of Chris Bryant, right? That's what we're looking for to see from Chris Bryant right now. Like, obviously the injuries make that a much more difficult conversation to have. But if next year he can show up and do that, then you go, okay, they signed a guy and he's playing well. <laughs> they need they need one of those. And I think they're going to try to go get one this offseason. And then we're all going to hold our breath. For all of next year until that player does some stuff. But 
Again, let me know what you thought of the letter, what you think uh, it means for the Rockies moving forward, and what you fear it might mean for the Rockies moving forward. Hit me up on Twitter or in the Discord. Uh, You can always slide into my DMs to ask me about the Discord channel. Other than that, I can only ever ask that you check out all of the rest of the content on MileHighSports.com and Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and of course, on Mile High Sports Radio channel on your dials in the old car. Or if you listen to the radio at home, you old schools, I love you. I love you. So just keep being absolutely awesome out there. I'll keep being absolutely Drew Creaseman in here. And until next time, I will see you at the ball.